Welcome to the Wagging Tails podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Noble Canine, canine behavioural specialists and dog trainers. We provide global online consultations and training, as well as physical training and behavioural rehabilitation within Singapore. On this episode of the podcast, we are talking about multi-dog households. Now, although it's just me this episode, and Jay does have multiple dogs in his house as well, no need to worry. On top of being a behavioural specialist, I also have three street dogs that I have adopted that live in our home. So we'll be able to give you some personal and professional advice from this episode. We're going to be talking a lot about things that you have to consider before introducing a second or more dogs into your household. And this is something that a lot of people neglect to do. They don't consider all of the pros and cons and the difficulties that might come along with this. So one of the things that you've got to consider is, of course, is your existing dog behaviorally stable and well-trained? Because if this is not the case, honestly, introducing another dog is not going to be the easiest, nor may it be advisable at all. Also, bear in mind that I've heard a lot of people saying, oh, getting a second dog is not that much different from one. Well, this is not the case if you're going to be doing this responsibly. You need to spend time with your dogs individually as well as together. For us, what I try to do is on Mondays, I will take the dogs individually out for walks and some training. So that means I've got Athos going out, Aramis going out again, and Porthos going out one more time. Now, it is incredibly important that you do spend individual time with each dog. This is because you're going to want to build a solid bond between yourself and the dog that you're introducing into your home. And you want to maintain and grow the relationship and the bond that you have with your existing dog as well. You've also got to bear in mind that when you have any dog, whether you've got one, two, three or twenty, training your dog is not optional. It's an obligation because for your dog to feel fully comfortable in a human environment, they must be appropriately socialised. They must be trained so that you can have a line of communication with your dog and you must be able to keep them safe and everybody else around your dog safe as well. When you're introducing a second dog, you're going to have to do this with not only your second dog, but also your existing dog. When you introduce a new dog into the household, there may be some regression with your existing dog. And you've got to bear that in mind, that not only do you have to invest the time and the money to do training with your new dog, but also your existing Now, on that note of cost, you've also got to ask yourself if you have the financial resources, because you're going to be having to look at vet bills, training costs, pet insurance, additional food, additional dog beds, additional toys, and everything else that your dog could potentially need. So you've got to be very realistic with yourself 
when you're looking at getting another dog, it's not just an emotional decision. You must take a look at this and weigh up what we've spoken about already and what we're going to be speaking about further on on this podcast. Now, we're going to touch on one of the big misconceptions of a multi-dog household. And that's because a lot of people call their multi-dog household their pack. Now, the word pack normally refers to a dominance-based hierarchy. And domestic dogs do not have that. The social structure of domestic dogs is actually very fluid. Because of the evolution from wolf to domestic dog, our dogs are no longer hunters like wolves are. They're more often than not scavengers and foragers. And that's because they've spent tens of thousands of years scavenging from humans. And that's why they evolved to become domestic dogs. Now, as such, this fluid social standing means that you don't necessarily have an alpha dog or a weaker dog or any of that stuff. What you do have is kind of more similar to roommates, which could then grow into potentially being like siblings, but that's something we're going to touch on later on. But with that, just because you don't have a pack doesn't mean that your dogs don't need leadership. Of course they do. But that's your job. You don't need to prove to your dog that you are the leader. You just have to be a good leader. And many people have heard me saying this before. But to be a good leader, you cannot lose your temper. You shouldn't be showing any aggression. Because if you're truly in the leadership position, you don't need to prove anything. You don't need to show aggression. You certainly shouldn't be inflicting violence on your family members or anyone in your team. That's the sign of a weak leader and a weak person. So to be a good leader, you have got to be calm. You've got to be calm in all situations to show that you are under control. This comes along with being confident. Now, to be confident with regards to a multi-dog household, you must educate yourself in multi-dog households. You must educate yourself in canine behaviour so that you can be truly confident in what you're doing when you're leading them. So you've got calm, you've got confident. Now then you must be clear. With dogs, clarity comes from training. You've got to open up that line of communication between yourself as the human and your dog as the canine. Because dogs don't speak any human languages and we don't speak dog. So we've got to teach them a language that they can understand. And you do that through training. And the fourth C is consistency. This is very, very important. The way you train your dogs, the way you treat your dogs must be consistent. Not just consistent with you, but consistent throughout the household. Everybody or every human in the household must be consistent with the dog, using the same training methodologies, using the same training cues or commands, and using the same stacks of commands in different situations so that the dogs 
do not get confused or conflicted. Now, the next set of four to be a good leader is Fs, four Fs. You've got to be firm. Yes, I know that might be conflicting to positive training, but you do need to be firm. And the reason I do this is because when you are doing training, you must be addressing your dogs firmly, confidently, calmly, for a number of different reasons, but the one that normally resonates with people the most is that these cues must be able to be used in an emergency situation. And when you're in an emergency situation, let's say there's a house fire and you've got to recall your dog. If your training has all been, hey, Fluffy, come on now, boy, come on, you're okay. Who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? I guarantee you're not going to be able to achieve that level of baby talk during a house fire or during a dog fight in a dog run or if your dog's too close to the road and there's a speeding car coming there's many many situations that this demands consistency and to do that you've got to be consistently firm at the same time you've got to be fair do not anthropomorphize your dog do not treat them really really different and make it very obvious which dog is the favorite you must be fair. And the last two is a big bonding thing. You've got to be fun and you've got to be friendly. And that is a really, really brief overview of what it takes to be a good leader to your dogs. So now we're going to be looking at a number of questions that people have asked about multi-dog households. We've had quite a few questions from both podcast listeners as well as clients about introducing another dog into the household. So I'm going to be addressing these questions, giving advice and things to look out for as we go through them. The first one is, if I get another dog, will the dogs be best friends? Well, to be honest, they might, but they might not. Like humans, dogs are individuals. So you're effectively bringing a roommate into the house. Sometimes you hit the jackpot and you go on with your roommate like a house on fire. But other times, you simply have to tolerate that roommate. So we've got to understand that although you can do bonding exercises and activities with your dogs and make it fun, it doesn't necessarily mean that the dogs are going to become best friends. So when you are thinking about another dog, it's strongly advisable to let your existing dog meet the potential new dog and see how they get on together. Let them spend some time together. Let them play if they want to. Spend some time taking them on walks together. Spend some time just chilling out together. It's really, really important that you do your best to introduce the second dog as a dog that your existing dog will get along with. Otherwise, you've got a whole different set of problems that could potentially arise moving forward. So even if the dogs do get along very well, and maybe they are best friends, you've got to remember that dogs are individuals. It doesn't matter if they're the same breed. It doesn't matter if they're even siblings, which we'll touch on later on as well. It doesn't mean that they are going to be carbon copies of each other. 
This is one of the other reasons that it's very important to spend time with them individually as they may enjoy different games, different activities, different kind of walks even. And you've got to make sure that you are giving each dog the activity requirements that they need. And if they don't get along that great and they just tolerate each other, do you know what? That could be okay. Don't worry too much about it. And certainly don't try to force them to become friends. Put yourself into the dog's shoes. It's kind of like when you were a young kid and your parents would have friends and they'd almost force you to be friends with their friends' kids. Sometimes that works out great. Sometimes you just have to tolerate them for the time that you are with them. And that's okay too. But let's say that you've already pulled the trigger and you've got a second dog and they're not getting on very well. Well, again... You've got to remember you don't have a pack. So any incidents where there might be aggression or where there might be a dogfight, remember it's not about dominance. More often than not, it's about some kind of disagreement, normally over resources. And you need to know how to manage these resources so that you can mitigate any potential disagreements in the future. However, you also need to understand that you must watch and evaluate both dogs and if there is any stress or you can see that there's stress rising up you may want to just separate them spend some time with them individually or even go on on a decompression walk which is so fondly called a sniffari now this is when you go for a slow walk with your dog in an area like the forest or a field and just let them sniff at their own pace until their heart is content And it's a great way to help them decompress after any situations. Now, if it does go all wrong, there's a lot of stuff that you need to consider there and do as well. And we will talk about that in a little bit. The next question that came through was, if I have a dog with separation anxiety, will getting a second dog help my dog get over that separation anxiety? Well... The answer to this is not quite as simple as the questioner would like. There's different types of separation anxiety root causes. Some dogs have got separation anxiety from human beings. Other dogs just don't want to be alone at all. And there's many different things that have triggered this in the offset. So introducing another dog when you don't know what that trigger is can be quite detrimental potentially. Or it could really help. But the other thing you've got to bear in mind is that you're assuming that the second dog is going to be influencing your existing dog. You don't know the state of your new dog. Or at least, if you don't, you should definitely go and find out about that. So, social learning can mean that your existing dog might influence the new dog or vice versa. So different behaviours will rub off on each other. And that is, again, why it's so important to ensure that your existing dog is behaviourally stable and well-trained before you introduce a second dog. This leads us nicely on to the next question, which was, do dogs need to live with other dogs? So with this, we've got to remember that dogs 
have been domesticated and evolved from wolves over tens of thousands of years. So it's more important that your dog has a solid relationship and a good bond with you as their human being than it is that they live with other dogs. Now, with that said, it is very healthy that your dogs get a chance to socialise with other dogs appropriately. And sometimes getting a second dog or multiple dogs means that this is easier. But we've also got to bear in mind that it's not a requirement to have a second dog in your house. You can also have your dog socialise with others at dog parks, at walking grounds, at doggy daycares, and many other different places. So it's not essential that your dog lives with another dog for them to be happy and healthy. Now this next one is a great question. Should we get two siblings for our two dogs? Or should we introduce a second sibling from the same mother and father? Now this is a great question because it kind of has two questions in one. If you're introducing siblings from different litters, you've got to remember that just because it's got the same mother and father, it's not going to be a carbon copy of your dog. They're still very individual and they could be very different dogs, despite the genetic similarities. Now, if you're getting two dogs from the same litter, this is also the case. They will be, might be very different dogs. But you've got to understand that if you're getting two dogs from the same litter, you're introducing two dogs at the same time into your household. Potentially puppies who are untrained and haven't been fully socialised into the human environment yet. That is a lot of work and a heavy commitment. And if you are not prepared for that, do not do this. Do not introduce two dogs at the same time. One thing we've also got to consider is if you're getting two dogs from the same litter, there is something called littermate syndrome. Now, this is effectively a potential when two puppies are brought into the same household from the same litter, that in some cases, these puppies form such a deep bond with each other that they fail to properly socialise with the family that has brought them into their home. And they can fail to socialise properly with other dogs as well. The other thing that litter syndrome can sometimes create is conflict. These dogs become so bonded that any conflict that does happen can become quite serious as well. So you've got to bear this in mind that it is a potential. It doesn't mean it's always going to happen. But it is a potential when you take two litter mates into the same household. And if you're not prepared for that potential and to bring in a behavioural consultant to help sort that out if that does happen, or if you're not prepared for the commitment that it takes to have two dogs being brought into your home at the same time, I advise not to do that. Now, with this question, should I get a dog of the same sex as my original dog? I really do wish that Jay 
was with me on this podcast for this question. Because I've got three boy dogs and Jay's got two girl dogs, it's something that we speak about quite regularly. And I always think that two female dogs are more likely to have issues than multiple male dogs. And Jay thinks the exact opposite. However, we found a study on intra-household aggression, which was done in 2020. And the results of this study showed that female-female households showed more aggression than any other match. So if it was male-male or male-female, the female-female households had more instances of aggression. However, there was a caveat in there that although the female-to-females had more instances of aggression, male-to-male households, although a lot less regular, when they did have aggressive situations, it could become a lot more serious. So that's something to bear in mind as well. The aggressors within these situations tended to be younger dogs and heavier dogs. The easiest combination was found to be dogs of the opposite sex. Now, just to make this clear, that doesn't mean that you have to get a dog of the opposite sex to your existing dog. It's just something to consider. With that said, through our experiences, the study seems to hold true. I've got three male dogs, and in the time that I've had them, I think we've only had maybe two, possibly three instances where there's been an aggressive disagreement. And although it was very seldom, in every case it did require some first aid and medical attention. But with Jay's side of things, he's had a lot more frequent instances, but most of the time the girls are actually not that badly hurt. So it does ring true. However... I'm incredibly happy that we've got the three male dogs and to be honest, as long as you do the training properly and ensure that they're behaviourally stable, it's really not that big a deal. It just means that you've got to have that commitment. Just because the study shows it doesn't mean that it's not possible. And I know if Jay was here, he'd be saying the exact same thing about his female-female household. Within that study as well, it was shown that the triggers which created these situations were unavoidable. So that means that through management, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to avoid this. Again, which is why behavioural shaping and training is so important. Early professional help in multi-dog households has shown to be a huge benefit to mitigate these situations. So, what do we do when something does go wrong? This is a big question because a lot of the time people panic and then shout and scream or some people even hit their dogs, which is simply not advisable. What you've got to do is if your dogs are currently in a fight, is you do have to separate them, but don't try to be a hero. Don't put yourself or your hands in between the dogs. That's a sure way to get bitten. It might be a redirected bite. Your dog won't necessarily mean to bite you, but it doesn't mean that it will hurt any less and it doesn't mean that it might injure you any less. 
So don't use your own body or hands to separate the dogs. Remembering that we're talking about multi-dog households when this happens. So it means that you're more than likely going to be in your home. So there's a few different items that you can use to help separate your dogs. Sliding a chopping board, a big wooden board or a large book between your dogs means that you're going to be able to break that connection. And this is where if you're by yourself, having trained your existing dog comes in very, very strong. You've got to be able to send your existing dog away while you handle your second dog. If there's more than one person in the house, it's strongly advised that each of you take a dog to separate them. Another thing you can use is a large beach towel and roll it up and hold both ends and then basically slide it between the dogs and pull away. It means that your hands are going to be far enough away that you're not going to get hurt. I understand that that sounds incredibly rudimentary and it kind of sounds a little bit like, oh, how would that work? But I promise you that in the moment, it is going to be something that you're going to want to do. You're not going to want to try the wheelbarrow method that a lot of people talk about, because again, that can lead to redirected bites. You're certainly not going to want to go between them, and you're certainly not going to think that splashing water on them is going to help, because nine times out of ten, it just annoys the dogs even more. Once you've managed to split them, you must separate them completely, ideally into completely different rooms with the doors closed so they can't even see each other. They've got to be in completely different areas of the home. At this time, this is when you allow decompression. Now, you know your dog better than I do. This is a podcast. I don't know your individual dog if this situation happens. And every dog is an individual and every dog is different. But here's a few ways that you can help your dog decompress after any stressful situation whether that be a thunderstorm, fireworks, a stressful walk, or even a really exciting play date, or again, if they get into a dog fight with the other dog in the household. Now, as much as some dogs just want to sleep, the other thing that you can use is engagement items. So that means you're talking about Kongs, puzzle toys, even again, just getting a towel, spreading some food in there and rolling it up so they've got to figure out how to remove that food. The other thing which is incredibly useful is decompression training games. Now, that's a topic I could go into at depth, but there's a lot of really good training exercises and games that help decompress your dog after stressful situations. And then we've got my favourite thing for decompression and as I mentioned earlier this is the sniffari the decompression walk where you allow your dog to have as much sniffing as they like on a really interesting walk so now you've decompressed the dogs and now you want to reintroduce them before you reintroduce them do ensure that your dogs are settled and decompressed you do not want your dogs to still be stressed out to still have adrenaline pumping when you reintroduce them. You also want to reintroduce them appropriately. Now, you almost would do this like you were introducing two stranger dogs. And the most effective way that I found this to be done is with an introductory parallel walk. Now, there's a lot to a parallel walk. Effectively, you're walking the dogs, 
using distance and altering that distance and altering the order in which they are walking to allow familiarization before you allow them to actually engage with each other. What I'll do is on the show notes of this podcast, I'll put a link to an article that I've written on how to do a parallel walk when you're introducing a dog to a new dog or when you're reintroducing a dog after an incident like this. If you don't have the appropriate situation where you can do a parallel walk, another way of doing it is by ideally being outside in an area where you can do parallel play. Now at this point, you want to be keeping both dogs on leash, probably a long line, so that you've got control but you're allowing them the freedom to be able to play properly. And this means that you're playing side by side at a distance and you'll gradually bring them in closer and then when you get close enough, you'll allow them to engage slowly. When you've got them on leash, you must understand that when they're engaging with each other, the leash must be loose. If you're holding that leash in tension, you're only increasing the likelihood that the dogs are going to re-engage with an altercation. If you don't have another person or you don't have an area that you can do parallel play or a parallel walk and you must do it in the house, it's important that you use a barrier and that you perform training games with each dog, switching regularly so that neither of them becomes possessive over the exercises. And you'll do this allowing them to be closer and closer to each other until you can let them reintroduce themselves to each other in a gentle manner. You must be very aware and reading your dog's body language when you're doing this reintroduction. If there is any sign of aggression, you separate the dogs again. Do not allow that to bring itself back up to a dog fight. That would be extremely detrimental to their relationship and then you've got to do the process all over again. Now, even if you've managed to reintroduce your dogs appropriately after a situation like this, it's important that we evaluate what happened. And if this happened over resources or if it happened over possessiveness of attention or anything like that, we've got to look at management. Now, when you talk about management, people always think about puppies or they think about babies. And this is when you puppy-proof the house, you put up baby gates, you might have a pen for them. You're effectively restricting access to things that they could potentially damage or things that could potentially harm them. Now, this is no different for older dogs. If you've got an older dog with another dog in the house and there has been any resource guarding at all, it means that you may need to remove the items that they were resource guarding themselves. So in my house, for example, although my dogs don't show any resource guarding at all, really, I do not leave any dog toys lying around in the house. I do not leave any chews lying around in the house. And when I give chews to the boys, each of the dogs get a chew and they are able to go to their own area to chew it. Now, that doesn't mean they will go to their own area. They may decide to chew together, and that's okay, as long as they've got access to remove themselves to their safe space. 
And that's very, very important. And I found that that has reduced the chances of resource guarding because by the time they're finished with the chews, I would then remove them or they'll be completely finished. With dog toys as well, you don't want to be leaving them lying around. If the dog toys are all lying around, you're increasing the chance of resource guarding, but you're also reducing the value of the toy, which although has got nothing to do with multi-dog households, it's far more beneficial for the dogs to have a high value association to the toys. And it also means that you can use different toys for different games or different situations, which can help with teaching them new games or new training elements. And finally, when it comes to dealing with the aftermath of a dog fight or a disagreement in your house, it is strongly advised to get in touch with a behavioural specialist and ensure that you can get the dogs back on the right track. Because nobody wants a household where there is constant fights between your dogs. It becomes incredibly stressful. I've had many a client come to me with this problem and a lot of the time they're at the stage where they're pulling their hair out before they actually reach out to me. I would strongly advise that if it happens, reach out to a behavioural specialist early so that you don't stress yourself out, you don't stress out the rest of your family and you don't stress your dogs out. And just to bounce back to avoiding these situations in the first place, you've got to remember you do not treat your multiple dogs as one entity. They are individuals. They've got their own personalities. They've got their own likes and dislikes. They've got their own way of bonding with you. And it's very important that you cultivate that. I know I've said it a couple of times, but this is why we spend individual time with them. This is why we take the time to bond with them as individuals and use the activities that they enjoy to reach their activity requirements and make sure we're hitting them. So this means that you also need to ensure that they've got their own dog beds, they've got their own safe space that they can go to to get away from the other dog or from the rest of the family. Because if you're wanting to keep the dogs safe from each other or to keep your family safe from your dogs, all you have to do is make sure that your dogs feel safe in the environment. A dog that feels safe is never going to become aggressive. So the last question we had was, what's it like having multiple dogs in one house? Well, if I'm going to be very honest with myself, it's absolutely fantastic. I really, really love having all three of my boys. The the amount of joy that I get from having them is just tremendous. And because they're all individuals, I mean, Athos, he's very stoic. He's quite chilled out, but he really enjoys just going on a walk with me and chilling out at a green area in a field or in a park, something like that. His main reward that he loves is affection. And he would actually prefer that you give him affection than trying to give him a toy or even food sometimes. He's a very loving dog when he gets to know you and he creates that bond with you. And Aramis, he's honestly one of the most chilled out little confident dogs that I've ever met. 
and I meet a lot of dogs. He's very food-driven, so it means he's an absolute joy to train, but he's also incredibly chilled out. And he loves nothing more than just chilling out beside me when I'm sitting in my office. He's actually lying there right now as I'm recording this. Or he likes to go out and go to a bar and have a few beers and just chill out. He's just that kind of dog. And then we've got Porthos, who is like a four-year-old puppy. He didn't ever have seemed to have grown out of that puppy energy. He's incredibly high energy. He's super play motivated. He loves playing fetch. He loves frisbee. He loves going on jogs. If I take the dogs out for a jog, I could do a 5K, come back. Porthos still wants to go again. He absolutely loves doing activities with me. And a lot of the times when I've taken all three of them out for a walk and come back, I'll take Porthos out for a jog so that I'm able to reach his activity levels or I'll take him out and play fetch with him or I'll take him out and do some additional training with him. Because he's so play-driven, he is absolutely fantastic to work with because when you're doing training or behavioural shaping, using toys is actually very effective when the dog is so play-driven. And then in the evenings, they love nothing more than just to chill out with the family. All three of my dogs have got a great relationship with my daughter and a great relationship with my wife and I. Having them in the family has absolutely made our lives better. With that said, it is a lot of work. And I mean a lot of work. So imagine just thinking back to what I just spoke about. All three of my dogs have got different personalities and different needs, and I need to cultivate those. I need to make sure that I'm meeting their activity requirements. And if you've got one dog, like Aramis, who's quite chilled out and quite low energy, and then you've got another dog, like Porthos, who loves nothing more than going a 5k run and then playing fetch, and then he's still up for doing training before he finally feels like it's time to have a nap. That means that you're doing very different things with each of the dogs, and that can be very time-consuming. So you've got to take that into consideration. There's a lot of management that you need to put in place as well. Effectively, this is setting your dogs up for success. And it means not just physical management, such as baby gates, or having their own space, having their own beds. It can be more about enrichment, making sure that you're ensuring they get the enrichment that they need. It's about making sure that you're giving them the appropriate training so that they can live together in harmony and successfully. Now, this doesn't just mean training your dogs. This means ensuring that you're using the training appropriately. For something just as simple as answering the door. When you've got one dog and the door ring, doorbell rings, and the dog might run to the door, One dog's fairly easy just to whip into a room and close the baby gate behind them. But if you've got two, three, four dogs, you need to make sure that you have trained your dogs to go and sit and stay or to go to bed when that doorbell rings. So not only are you training your dogs, you're actually having to set up and condition behavioural sets to keep yourself sane so that you're not getting stressed out every time something happens. It also means knowing which stacking to use of these training cues 
so that you're able to send the dogs away or to send them both or three to a certain area so that you're able to control the movements when necessary. A great example of this is my oldest, Athos, and the youngest, Porthos. Now, Athos and Porthos love to play rough together. They absolutely love it. And when they're outside and they're running around in the field, they can really get quite rough to the point where some people might think that they're actually fighting, but it's very much play. However, in the house, Athos prefers to chill out. He is kind of thinking there's a time and a place for the roughhousing, and it's not in the house. And that's fine, because the only area in the house that they're allowed to play like that is the living room. Every other room is a calm environment for the dogs. And that's something that we've also conditioned as well. Something that I also advise people with multi-dogs or individual dogs that is conditioned for them. So what Porthos does is he likes to nibble on Athos's neck. And he's basically trying to get a rise out of Athos, trying to get Athos to break and start to play. But a lot of the time... Athos doesn't want to do that. And when Porthos is doing it, you can see that Athos is getting frustrated. Now, in that instance, what we do is we'll tell Porthos to leave Athos alone with the leave it command. And then if he insists, we'll send him to bed just to chill out for a while. And that gives Athos the distance so that he gets a rest from Porthos's incessant want to play. But at the same time, you've got to be able to read your dogs because maybe Athos does want to play. And if I'm continuously interjecting and stopping that from happening, I'm taking away a bonding experience for the boys as well. So that's a very important aspect when you've got a multi-dog household. Many dogs in a multi-dog household can be left alone together. But that doesn't mean that every multi-dog household can do that. There's a large number of households that must separate their dogs when the humans leave their house. There's a lot of people that only let their dogs interact with each other under supervision. And you must know whether you need to do that or not. So if you're not sure how to tell that yourself, or you're not sure how to cultivate and shape the ability to do that, again, I'd highly recommend getting in touch with a professional to help you. For us, when we had Athos alone, there was no problem having him home alone. When we got Aramis, Aramis had terrible separation anxiety to the point where we ended up having to get a new sofa. Now, there's a couple of things about that that you've got to remember is that that separation anxiety would have been stressing Athos out as well because Aramis's separation anxiety was from humans. It didn't matter that Athos was with him. So that didn't help the separation anxiety at all. So we had to do a lot of work to sort that separation anxiety out. We had to do a lot of behavioural rehabilitation and help him gain more confidence. And now I'm happy to report that he's extremely confident. But during that time, we had to separate the two dogs when we left because the last thing that we wanted was for Aramis to get stressed out and get the separation anxiety attacks and then Athos to get stressed out because of Aramis 
and there to be a potential issue with that. So you've got to understand whether you can leave your dogs home alone or whether you need to separate them when you're leaving them home alone. And one of the last things which I really have to talk about with regards to what it's like having multiple dogs in the house is when you do walk them all together, it's a lot of work. So this is also why it is incredibly important that you have trained your original dog before you introduce the next dog and make sure that the next dog is trained before you introduce yet another. That's what we did and even then it was still a lot of work because although I had Athos walking nicely, I was having to then teach Aramis. So I've now got to hold the leash of one dog walking nicely while I'm managing and training the other dogs walking. And then when we got Porthos, both Athos and Aramis are walking nicely, but Porthos is needing to learn how to walk properly. It's a lot to manage. It's a lot of work. And if you had multiple dogs that didn't know how to walk properly, it would probably end up being a bit of a nightmare. So this is why it's super important that not only do you train your dogs, you also make sure that your leash skills are on point. Because if they're not, you're talking about situations where you may end up dropping the leash. One of the dogs might end up making a runner or you might end up creating a problem with other users of the path, the park or the road. So when you're walking multiple dogs, if you've not got the training to that level yet, make sure you're walking them individually or with another person so that each of you have got one dog. And with that, guys, I've covered the questions that were coming in. There's a lot more that you can consider. There's a lot more useful tools and things like that with regard to multiple dogs in a household. And if you do have any more questions about that, please do reach out to us. We'd be more than happy to help you either by addressing them on the podcast or by replying you directly if you would prefer not to have it published on the podcast. But before we call it a day, I just want to recap a few things that you need to consider before getting a second dog. In fact, if you're even considering getting a dog and you don't have a dog, these are also things to consider. Commitment can normally be boiled down to money, effort, trust and time. So you've got to make sure that you can be committed. Do you have the time to spend with your dogs? Do you have the time to have a multi-dog household? Do you have the time to train them? Do you have the time to enrich them? Do you have the time to bond with them? Do you have the money? Because as I said earlier, there's a lot that you've got to purchase, such as additional dog beds, food, training costs, boarding costs when you travel, pet insurance, veterinary bills, all of that stuff gets doubled when you introduce another dog. Can you put in the effort? You've got to be honest with yourself, guys. A lot of people are like, oh, I really want another dog. But at the end of the day, they're actually fairly lazy people. And they'll be self-admitting that. So when they do get a dog, they just don't put in the effort that's required. And as a result, the dog ends up getting behavioural issues. And especially in multi-dog households, if you've got dual dogs or more with behavioural issues, you end up having to put in more effort later on. 
So you've got to be honest with yourself whether you're willing to put in that effort because if you're not, not only will you need to put in some effort, but you'll have to put in even more when the problems start to arise. Trust. Do you trust yourself? Do you trust your other family members living in the house? Just because you want a second dog or even a dog doesn't necessarily mean that everybody in the family does. You've got to communicate and make sure that you all trust each other, that you're going to be able to look after this dog appropriately and everyone's happy with a new dog coming into the house. That's incredibly important because if the environment in the home is not accepting to the dog, you are going to get some behavioural issues with the dog because they're going to be able to tell that they're not welcomed by every single person. And just to recap another few considerations, you've got to make sure that you have the emotional bandwidth to have multiple dogs in the house. Dogs are very amazing animals. They are truly, truly amazing. And I can say with all honesty, I love my dogs more than I ever thought was possible. But it also means that I'm incredibly bonded to my dogs. So when things go wrong, when they don't get along, when there's some issues with them, it hurts. And I can tell from personal experience with past dogs, and I know that one day I'm going to have to face this as well, is that dogs don't live as long as us. And that emotional bandwidth that you need to be able to deal with that is very important because you will fall in love with your dog. You will want your dog to live forever. But the sad truth is that they don't. And if they do get sick, if you do need to do behavioural rehab, or if something happens that they get an emotional break, or if they just get old, you've got to understand that there's going to be a lot of things that you've got to do and put in place and work on and eventually say goodbye. So the emotional bandwidth is incredibly important to ensure that you are ready for a dog, let alone multiple dogs. And then you've got more practical things that you've got to consider. Do you have the knowledge to have multiple dogs in the house? If you don't, are you willing to learn? Are you willing to hire somebody to help you? Do either of the dogs, whether it be your existing dog or the second dog, have behavioural issues? If your current dog has behavioural issues, as I said earlier, I would reconsider getting a second dog until you have ironed these out. If your potential second has got behavioural issues, so let's say you're adopting an older dog, you've got to understand that these behavioural issues are going to be there and you're going to have to put in the work for that as well. And with that, guys, I hope this has been useful to anybody considering introducing a second dog or to turn their home into a multi-dog household. And as I've said before, if you need any help at all with any questions regarding your dogs, please do not hesitate to reach out to us and we will be more than happy to help. And with that, I hope everybody enjoyed the podcast and I'm sure I will talk to you all again very soon.